doing the Christian uniform, or you're already dressing the right way in your, inside the, your home and, and as a family, then this sermon is meant to positively reinforce what you as a mom and dad have been teaching. Let me jump into the message this evening and begin with some pictures on the screen. All right, I'm going to, one at a time, I'm going to throw, uh, at first I'm going to throw three pictures up. Pastor Dave, after we get to that third one, leave it up there until you hear the, the, the cue there. Um, and as you see them up there, tell me by what they're wearing, what these people do or who they are. Go ahead, throw, throw the first one up there. Speak to me here. Those are firefighters. Next one. Who's that? That's, those are doctors. Next one. Those are Marines. Now, how did you know what each of those people were? By their clothing. Clothing equals identification. Clothing equals identification. Um, how many of you are wearing a sports jersey this evening or some kind of sports clothing? All right. How many of you didn't wear it because you thought I was setting you up? <laughs> Someone, I won't say who it is, his initials are J.R. Um, those are literally his initials. said, I wasn't wearing my Patriots jersey or my Red Sox jersey because I thought you were going to say, you love the Red Sox more than you love Jesus. And that wasn't why I had you put the jerseys on tonight. I am, uh, I am dressed a little unconventional this evening. Um, if you're wearing a jersey, the reason why you chose that jersey is because inside you are a fan of that team. And it can't stay on the inside. It must show itself on the outside. I am an Orioles fan. Now, they stink this year. But I'm an Orioles fan, and I can't help but show people I'm an Orioles fan. Now, when it comes to uh, showing up to church, I don't wear uh, an Orioles jersey unless it's opening day, then I wear my Orioles jersey to work. Outside of that, I don't wear an Orioles jersey. I dress up, and I look like a pastor. Uh, but on my day off, I am known to go to the store in some sort of a sports cap or sports shirt. Uh, that's my one day to show off my sports side. Uh, on Sundays when my team's playing football, I'll put on a jersey. Uh, if it's nighttime and me and my son want to catch a baseball game, we'll go put our jerseys on and sit on the couch and take it in. Why? Because my clothing identifies the hidden man of the heart. If it's inside, it's going to portray itself on the outside with what I wear. Why? Because clothing equals identification. Let me throw some more pictures up here for you. These are different either music concerts or music artists. And by looking at the pictures, I want you as a church to tell me what genre of music it is. All right, go ahead. Throw the next one up there. What kind of concert are we at here in the picture? Country music. They went there to get their car back and their dog back and their wife back and their truck back. Country music. Next one up there. What kind of music do those guys perform? Rap, hip-hop, if you want to call it music. Um, no, I haven't played a single song over the speakers, have I? But just based on what they're wearing, you know who they are. Um, in fact, 
I found this out. If, if, if the government, let me just say this, if the government surveys my Google searches, they're sitting there scratching their head. Because I was looking for all kinds of crazy stuff, all right? Um, I tried to find more pictures that would uh, be obviously noticeable. But what I did find online is that there are entire guides that tell you exactly what you should wear depending on what type of music concert you're going to. If you want to go to an alternative music concert, there's a, there's a dress code. If you want to show up at a country or hip-hop uh, concert, there's a dress code. If you want to go to a jazz concert, there is a dress code because clothing equals what? Identification. Throw that up there. Clothing equals identification. Okay, how about religious clothing? Religious clothing. I want us to, in our mind, to get on an airplane and fly to the Middle East. Now, um, I try to be exact with this next set of pictures. I was having a very difficult time doing this. But let's say, for instance, that you go to India. India is like the melting pot of religions. Almost every religion of the world can be found in India. Not all of them, but almost all of them. And they, uh, they interact with each other. Some, somewhat it's, it's segregated to regions of the country. But you can look at what someone is wearing and generally tell what religion they're part of. Now, the uh, next set of pictures are not taken necessarily from folks in India, but just the Middle East uh, in general. Um, by, by this next slide, see if you can figure out what religion these people are a part of. What religion would that be? Those, are, those folks are Hindu. That was for those who couldn't read. <laughs> the Hindus. Okay. Uh, the next two here. We've got uh, the Buddhist in their, prayer, in their prayer garb. And then the next one, you have the Islams, the, the Muslims. And again, I, I know that depending on what sect of Islam you're part of, the, the, the garb changes uh, somewhat. Each of these religions have their own dress code. Right? You're expected to wear that all the time. Now, what do they do? By putting on those, that clothing and walking out in public, you are proving your identification. Clothing equals identification. Now, listen closely, because this is, this is foundational to the sermon. There is no set of clothing for the Christian, but there is still a standard of identification laid out for us in 1 Peter 3, as well as other passages we'll look at tonight. And these apply not only to women, but they apply to men as well. This evening I propose that the uniform of the Christian, you're taking notes, write these two words down, the uniform of the Christian is modesty, and purity. Modesty and purity. The clothing that we wear identifies who the hidden man of our heart is and what he looks like. If you don't dress modest, then the hidden man of your heart is not modest. Now, 50 years ago, that would have been aimed more at women than men. But today, we've got boys running around in short shorts and skinny jeans. That's not modest. That's nasty. Um, 1 Peter chapter 3, look down at verse number 2. 
It says there, look here. Remember, modesty and purity. While they behold your chaste conversation, that word chaste means pure, chaste conversation coupled with fear. Look at verse 3. If you're wondering what that's talking about, who's adorning? Who's adorning? So what? Uh, how should we adorn ourselves with purity and modesty? So we're going to jump in tonight and look at four principal truths out of 1 Peter 3 as we consider this topic of the Christian's uniform. All right, let's jump in here. Uh, truth number one, notice the preparation we must choose. The preparation we must choose. Look down with me at 1 Peter Chapter 3 and verse number 3, it says, Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in which uh, is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. So let, let it be the, the adorning there, let it be the hidden man of the heart in which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Pastor Dave, before we move forward here, I think my monitors up here might be a little loud. If, if it isn't loud in the house, it's loud on the platform. So if you could help me with that. Um, now, the, old, the word adorning, what does that word adorning mean there in verse number three? Who's adorning? The word adorning means to make one's self beautiful. To make one's self beautiful. Uh, or for us men, presentable. There's not any hope of us ever being beautiful. In fact, I'll take this a step further. I've never seen a good-looking man in my life. And if you're a guy and you've seen a good-looking man, you go stand over there. <laughs> um, um, there was a, uh, a man who said to the Lord, God, why did you make women so soft? And he said, that's so that you would love her. Why did you make her so pretty? That's so that you would love her. Why did you make her smell so stinking good? Well, that's so you would love her. Well, God, all right, one more thing. Why did you make her so dumb? That's so she would love you. <laughs> I don't think women are dumb, but it, it does make for a good joke. All right. The old school Pentecostals take verse 3 to, to this way. Uh, women cannot wear makeup and women cannot wear jewelry. Look back at verse 3. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold. Oh, that seems to say that don't wear any makeup, don't call any attention with any jewelry. Uh, the only problem with that is that if women can't wear makeup and jewelry, then they also can't wear clothes either. Look back at verse 3. Whose adorning, let it not be the outward ador uh, adorning of plating the hair or, and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel. So if it's okay for a woman to wear clothes, then it's okay for her to put gold in her hair and to wear jewelry. Now, what is God trying to get at here? He's trying to say that, ladies, listen, if the barn needs painting, then paint the barn. But, but... Don't you spend more time getting yourself dressed than you do preparing the hidden man of the heart. You make sure that you spend more time walking with God and that the hidden man of the heart is right with God than you do uh, picking out your outfit and going and shopping for the outfit and, and taking uh, an hour to put on your makeup. And listen, if you want to take that much time to do that, that's great. You spend more time walking with the Lord. 
Now, that doesn't just go for the women. That goes for us men as well. We are we are to choose to prepare the hidden man of the heart. There is this mentality out there that I can dress however I want because God sees the heart. The only problem with that is, is that I don't see your heart and neither does any other human being alive. We see your appearance and so you need to dress on the outside in a way that pleases God. That pleases God. Look back there. Look back there at uh, verse number... Um, Verse number two, it says, while they, while they behold your chaste conversation or lifestyle coupled with fear. We need to make sure that who we're pleasing is the Lord first and then allow what's on the inside to flow on the outside. Now, let me get really doctrinal with you here. Right there in uh, verse number four, it talks about the hidden man of the heart. You see that phrase there? The hidden man of the heart. Who is the hidden man of the heart? Well, we see it says that, uh, that uh, it says, in that which is not corruptible. That's speaking of the Holy Spirit. You are to walk with God and put the Holy Spirit first. And you know what happens? Here's what happens when you are walking with God and allowing His Spirit or the Holy Spirit to lead you, then naturally you will dress modestly and appropriately. Modestly and Appropriately, So the preparation we must choose. Number two, the purity God demands. The purity God demands. Look back at verse number one. It says, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, speaking of a lost husband, they also may without the word be won how? By the conversation or the lifestyle of the wives. Look at verse two. While they behold your chaste conversation, your pure conversation, your uncontaminated lifestyle, your godly lifestyle. So we're to present ourselves in a way, we're to identify ourselves by the clothing that we put on in a way that is modest, in a way that is pure. Let me quickly give you three sub points here. Uh, uh, Letter A, notice gender, gender. For those of you here that were here last year, you'll have to bear through this again. I'm going to use the same illustration because I want the whole church to get it. And it's been a year since you've heard it, so you need to hear it again. Amen? So here, here it is. I, I, sometime back I read a news story uh, about a clothing designer that worked for the J. Crew. This woman had a baby boy, and she decided to paint his toenails pink. She painted his toenails pink. Do you want to hear your pastor's opinion on that? I believe that you should never, never paint a boy's toenails any color whatsoever. Boys do not need, uh, what do you call that stuff? Paint, fingernail polish, fingernail, whatever you call that stuff. Don't put that on a boy. By the way, these are the same people that start uh, treating a boy like a girl when they're born and say, well, he's, he's effeminate on his own. No, he's not. You set him up to be that way. Um, anyway, that's not the point of this. The point is that the reporter that was covering this story had a very solid point. Now, brace for this here. Here's what he said. He said, I don't see what the problem is. Girls have been acting like boys for decades. What is the problem with a boy that acts like a girl? Girls have been acting like boys for decades. So what is the problem with a boy that acts like a girl? 
And I have to say to that, that's true. We've been allowing our girls to run around, and we've been calling them tomboys for decades. Now listen, I have no problem with a girl that wants to play sports or a girl that wants to run around the playground, any of those things, but there still needs to be an effeminate, ladylike side to her that she learns and gets from her mother. She can go hang out with the boys. She can be tough. There's nothing wrong with that. But there, she also needs to know how to act like a girl. And we've let our girls talk like boys, act like boys, look like boys, walk like boys uh, for decades. And now, all of a sudden, we see we have seen the girls get pushed to uh, uh, boys. And now Satan is trying to push the boys to look and act like the girls. And, and, and God has this to say about that. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Will you turn over there with me? Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse number 5. Hold your place in First Peter 3. Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse Verse number five, God has strong words to say about how a boy and girl ought to be differentiated from each other. Now, listen, this sermon today is not in the least bit popular with the culture, uh, but we were told that in the last days, good would be called evil and evil would be called good. And so let them put whatever label they want to on this message, on this truth. Look at verse five. The Bible says the woman should not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. God has strong words about this. Look here. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now you might ask, but pastor, that was uh, civil law. That wasn't moral law. And here's what I'll tell you. There is a possibility that you're right. There is also a possibility that you are wrong. Do you really want to run a risk of being an abomination to God? Do you want to be abominable to God by what you wear? Now, you might ask, Pastor, what, exam- what exactly does that verse mean? Let me put it in simple terms. Ready? Men should not wear clothing that belongs to women, and women should not wear clothing that belongs to a man. Simply, uh, someone must say, but, but that was only for the Israelites. Notice the verse uses the word abomination. Abomination. This means that when men and women cross, uh, cross-dress, that it makes God sick to his stomach. If it was an abomination then, then I'm going to tell you it's still an abomination today. Turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. And sadly, this is a problem in our society today. As sin has broken down our society and made it less uh, godlike and more uh, uh, more secular, as God has been excelled, rather expelled from our society, sin has been able to come in and break people down. Look at verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6. The Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are speaking of people who have not been redeemed, okay? Look here. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Look at that next one. Nor effeminate. Nor effeminate. What does that word effeminate mean? Effeminate means someone that acts outside the boundaries of their gender. Someone who acts outside the boundaries of their gender. It ought to be that I ought to be able to walk up behind you from a football field's distance away and just from what you're wearing be able to say boy or girl. Boy or girl. 
It ought to be that obvious based on what you're wearing. How many of you ever had to do that? You take the double take. Is that a boy or a girl? That's becoming more and more common in the culture today, isn't it? The way they wear their hair, the way they wear their clothes. You look and you go, I, I'm, I'm really not sure. Can, can I just remind you that God is a God of order? And Satan is, a, uh, Satan is is all about disorder and confusion. And so Satan is trying to blur the lines. And there has been this societal push for decades to get the girls to act like the boys. And over here now it's become very hot and heavy where we're pushing the boys to look and act like girls. And so now uh, uh, you walk in and you see a girl that's ta- a boy that's talking like a girl and a girl that's talking like a boy. It's now even gotten into our boys' scouts. How many of you have seen that story? The Boy Scouts change their name. They're no longer the Boy Scouts and they're, they're allowing girls in that uh, claim to be boys. And I just have to say this here as well is that uh, your gender matches up with your biological anatomy and the two cannot be separated. If God made you a boy, then you're a boy. And God made you a girl, you're a girl. He did not accidentally put you in the wrong body. You are what He made you to be. By the way, as the home has been broken down, this has gotten more confusing. You have a mom that raised her boys and the boys begin to act like mom. You have girls who have to step up and act strong because there's not a man there to lead. And then the girls take that strength overboard and start acting Manly, And how do you fix the problem? You fix the problem by having married couples stay married and lead the family together. Letter A, gender. Notice letter B, appropriate. You're in 1 Corinthians 6. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Look at verse number 19 with me. It says there, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Look at verse 20. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Paul would say in other passages that he was all things to all men, yet without sin. What was Paul teaching here? He was teaching that he wanted to live a lifestyle that gave him the best opportunity possible to preach the gospel and to reach as many people as he could with the gospel. So the idea here is that our clothing ought to be appropriate. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's say that I showed up at a, uh, I went down to Bridgeport and I found a basketball court out on the corner of a street and I showed up in a suit and tie and dress shoes and I read out there with my Bible in my hand and said, I'm going to play some basketball. You know what they look at me like? You are a looney tune. First, put your Bible down. Two, go get some sneakers and some shorts and a shirt on. Quit dressing like a preacher and get out here and play basketball. You can be a preacher, but dress appropriately. And, and, and listen, I have to say that there is a level of professionalism that ought to come with the way the Christian presents themselves. Uh, an appropriateness that the Christian presents themselves. In the 1990s, Chick-fil-A began to skyrocket into success and KFC began to plummet. And why was it that Chick-fil-A skyrocketed into success and KFC fell hard? Again, I'm talking about the 1990s. 
Chick-fil-A has made a comeback of recent because of what I'm about to tell you. The reason was that Chick-fil-A began to teach their employees to say, uh, my pleasure, when you heard, uh, when they were told thank you. Uh, they were told to uh, uh, wear a shirt that was clean and free of grease and to tuck it in and to button their buttons appropriately. And the floor was kept clean and decorations were put out. And people went to pay for professionalism. However, when you walked into a KFC in the 1990s, what did you find? You found some guy that looked like he maybe been eating chicken and had stains all over his shirts, buttons were sideways, grease all over the floor. How many went to a KFC in the 90s once? Right? You didn't go back again, I hope. What happened is KFC went this way. And Chick-fil-A went this way. Now, KFC realized that there's something to professionalism. There's something to appropriateness. They began to clean up their act. And now KFC's on the rebound. Why? Because they have learned the importance of being appropriate. Listen, let me just say here is that there, there is no verse in the Bible that says that you've got to dress up to come to church. But I think we ought to give the Lord our best on Sundays. Uh, again, let me just say that. There's no verse in the Bible that says you've got to dress up to come to church. And we want you here regardless of how you come. We don't, it's always appropriate to state this as well. We don't have a dress code at White Oak Baptist Church. Before I get into the next subpoint here, I think it's very important that I give these disclaimers. All right? Um, you should never, ever, 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 ever look down your nose at someone who comes in the door of our church and they're not dressed in a way that looks like you or looks like us. You ought to run to the sleaziest looking person that walks in the door. Ladies, ladies, only the ladies, throw your arms around the other ladies that are dressed sleazy and say, come sit with me. You're going to be loved here. We're not going to look down on you and judge you for the way you're dressed. You're going to be loved here. There's no dress code here. Now, God has a dress code in his word. And if they come long enough and the Bible begins to transform their heart, they'll get it. They'll get it in their time. They'll get it in their own way. They'll learn. They'll assimilate to the group. They'll assimilate to the word of God. They don't need us sticking our finger in their face and saying, you're dressed awful. That's not really the point of the sermon tonight either. The point of the sermon is to teach you what God says about, about uh, modesty and about uh, appropriateness. Uh, letter C here, notice, modest. Modest. Does God care what I wear? Let me, reverse, let me read you a verse out of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 10 says, And behold... Speaking of the simple man, there met him a woman with the attire or the clothing of an harlot. The clothing or the attire of an harlot. And subtle of heart. Here we see that the Bible talks about the attire of a harlot. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter number 2. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Does God care what I wear? Well, let's look at the Bible for an answer on that. Look at verse number 9. In like manner also that women adorn, there's that word adorn again, adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, 
not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now, what's the point of verse 9 there? It is that you dress in a way that does not call attention to you. So people go, oh, wow. Did you see how pretty she is? Guys, you're not to dress in a way where people walk out and go, that dude's got money. He's got his act together. Verse 10. But which becometh women professing godliness with good works. All of my life, I have heard preachers use this verse as to how women should define their wardrobe. I was told, growing up, I was told by my parents, I was told by many preachers and some with a nasty, unkind spirit that modesty meant clothing that does not sit close to one's anatomy. To put it plainly, when the Bible says modest apparel, it means that you should not wear something that is too tight or something that exposes the sexual parts of your body. You should not dress in a way that could cause a stumbling block to men. Let us not forget, ladies, men are visually stimulated. Women are stimulated by the touch. Men are stimulated by what they see. Now, in preparation for this message and last year's message, I I did some investigating. You see that word modest, apparel, in verse number 9? The Greek word for modest is the root word katastole. Write that word down if you're taking notes. Katastole. It's spelled K-A-T-A-S-T-O-L-E. Kata and then the word stole. K-A-T-A-S-T-O-L-E. Now, a katastole was a particular type of garment worn by royalty. And it was very, very, very long and flowing. It was long and flowing. So when uh, 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 Paul told Timothy here how he was uh, supposed to instruct the women in his church to dress, he said, make sure they dress in a catastole. He was using he was using an object illustration. Here's what he was saying. Have your women wear clothing that does not sit close to the body. That is loose on them. That is loose on them. Now, in all of the New Testament, every time, the New Testament, every time Scripture mentions clothing, this passage in 1 Peter 3 would be the two exceptions. It is done in a way that is neutral in gender, except for this verse in 1 Peter 3. Ladies, let me help you with some guidelines when deciding what to wear. All right? Um, You should avoid clothing that is too loose. Too loose. Some clothing is so loose that you bend over to pick up um, uh, something off the ground and you are revealing way too much. You move around and it moves away from your body. And if you're not wearing the proper clothing underneath, it reveals way too much, way too much. And keep in mind that men are visually stimulated. Here's another one. Too tight, too tight. Uh, the clothing that you wear should not come under and hug you uh, on your bust. It should not hug the bottom of your bust. If it does, it's too tight. Uh, you ought to be able to reach behind you, and at the very top of your leg, you ought to be able to get a large handful of fabric. If you can't, 
It's too tight. It's too tight. Here's another one. Too low. Too low. Now, I'm going to look at the pulpit when I say this. And I am embarrassed that I even need to say this. I don't think it matters what church I would pastor in 2018. I think this is a problem in every church. So I'm going to say this once. And please understand the spirit I'm saying it with is meant with grace and kindness. All right? Women, it is a sin to reveal your cleavage to another man. It is a sin. That is meant for your husband or your future husband only. Don't you show that to anybody. You wear an outfit, you wear a shirt that is not too low. Here's the other one, too short. Too short. A skirt or um, a dress that comes way above the knee attracts the eyes of a man, asks them to look at your legs. You say, Pastor, and those dirty men, they should not be looking at my body. Matthew 5.28 says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her in his heart. Ma'am, you are 100% correct. They should not be looking at your body. They should not be looking at your body. You getting the point here? As difficult as it is for you to not look up at the screen right now, it is twice as hard for a man to not look at you and you're not dressed modestly. You say, does that include you? That includes me. Just because I'm a pastor does not mean I don't have red blood running through my veins. I picked a pretty wife on purpose. Glory, hallelujah. You sit there and say, and who do, do you think you are? To tell me how to dress. Let me tell you who I am. I am a man. And as a man, I know way better than you do, ma'am. And I will always know better than you do what makes a man lust. Because I is one. (laughs) And you ought to be thankful that you have a preacher that's willing to stand up and tell you how to be careful with what you wear. The last thing I want, Matthew, stand up for me. The last thing I want is that little boy right there to come to church and have to struggle with lust because the members of the church dress in a way that's provocative. The last thing I want is for these two little boys back here, sitting next to Mike, to have to come to church and lust because of the way that some of the women who come here regularly dress is immodest and inappropriate. That ought not be. Church ought to be a safe haven. And again, I'm not talking about the visitors that come occasionally. I'm talking about the people that come here regularly. Dress in a way that is appropriate. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Romans 14, 13 says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I want all the ladies to look up here at me for a minute. There are enough women in this world that are trying very hard to provoke your husbands and sons to commit mental and physical adultery. What we need are women that are called Christians 
to wear the uniform of a Christian, to clothe themselves in modesty and purity, and not be a stumbling block to another man. Someone put it this way, this is a a base way of putting it, but if your body is not for sale, then don't advertise it. If your body's not for sale, then don't advertise it. Let me help you with something tonight. You ladies that are married or you daughters that are still at home and have a dad over your roof, go home and ask ladies that are married, let me start with you, go home and ask your husband this question. If a young woman that was highly attractive wore what I wear in front of you at the store and you were all by yourself, would you be tempted to look with lust? Let them be honest with you. And if the answer is yes, don't be offended by that. Just change. Just change. Teenage girls, you go to your dad and you say, Dad, is this appropriate what I'm wearing? And give your father veto power to tell you that it's wrong without hurting your feelings. Because your dad knows a whole lot better than you do. We need to remember that the Bible is the final authority and learn that modesty is our goal. It would be a great idea to go through your closet and maybe throw out some things that are inappropriate and replace them with garments that please the Lord. Number three, notice the people we please. The people we please. Look back at 1 Peter chapter 3 with me. I'm almost done. 1 Peter 3 and verse number 5. The Bible says, therefore, after this banner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Look here at the verse. Notice that phrase, who trusted in God, who trusted in God. God commands that we dress ourselves first in a way that pleases God, that God is pleased with what we wear. Ma'am, can you really say every time that you walk out of the house that God is pleased with the outfit that you're wearing? If you were to meet someone, they were to come up to you and say, my, my life is broken, can you tell me about your Jesus? Would your clothing be a stumbling block to you being able to present them with God in church and uh, the Bible? Can, can you say that uh, the way you dress pleases God? Notice there it says that they trusted in God. Now, I, listen, I know that a critic of the sermon that would be listening, whether they're here or listening online, would say, but pastor, if we go dressing like that, they're going to label us Amish and we'll have no chance of reaching them. And I would remind you that we are to be all things to all men, yet without sin. Without sin. God has called us to be, I know that you don't like this, but God has called us to be a peculiar People And if being modest and chaste and pure and careful makes someone keep their distance from me, then they can keep their distance from me. My, my disposition ought to be so pleasing to the Lord that they look at me and they want what I have because I'm not contaminated by the culture and by sin. 
Now, the people that we please. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that we dress in a way oftentimes that pleases, uh, uh, that, that, uh, that, that pleases the world more than it pleases our God. And we dress in a way many times that uh, pleases our girlfriends, ladies, more than it f- pleases our husbands. And I have to say to you that the very first person in 1 Peter 3, verse 5, that you are to please is your God. The second one is your husband. Your husband. Let me ask you a question. If your husband came to you and told you that your top was too low or your skirt was too short or your pants were too tight, how would you respond? Many of your husbands are afraid to say a word to you because you won't talk to them for a week. Or if you do talk to them, you're going to blow up all over them. I am so thankful for a godly wife. I'm kind of glad Angela isn't here tonight because if I were to say this in front of her, to embarrass her. She's probably watching online, but she could be embarrassed at home. I'm so thankful tonight for a godly wife who comes to me when she puts on a new outfit and says, Is this modest? Is this appropriate? And if I say to her, No, it's not, she either alters it or she changes it completely. I have veto power with my wife, I can tell her when something isn't right. Early on in her marriage, when Angela was learning um, uh, Christian modesty, she had only been saved a couple of years. We got out of the house. We were heading toward the car, and I looked at her, and I said, your skirt's too short. She said, no problem. She went right back inside and changed. Made us a couple minutes late to where we were going. I got no attitude out of her. You know how that makes me feel inside to know that I can correct my wife on that topic anytime I feel I need to, and she's going to be in subjection to that? Ma'am, who are you trying to please with your outfit? Are you trying to please the other ladies in the church? you trying to please your girlfriends that you meet up for coffee? Or are you trying to please the Lord and your husband? Number four, lastly, notice the price tag God assigns. Please don't miss this. This is so important to the sermon. Look back at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 4. It says there, But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Look here. Which is in the sight of God of great price. In the sight of God of great price. It was God that gave you your anatomy. It's God that gave you your purity. He values you. He wants you to value your purity. I'm talking to men and women alike here. Those children that are here today, teenagers that are here, you need to value your purity. Satan wants to take your purity from you. You say, well, I'll be pure to the wedding altar. No, no, no. You be pure through the wedding altar. You can be pure all the way to the grave. You don't need to cheapen yourself by dressing in a way that draws attention to anything other than a bright countenance that glorifies your God and King. If you're taking notes tonight, let me encourage you to jot this statement down. I heard this at the Wilds in, in North Carolina, and it, it's one of those statements that has stuck with me. The preacher there said this. He said, let the arrows of your fashion always point to your face. Let the arrows of your fashion always point to your face. If they point to anything else then you need, you, you, you need to consider what you're wearing. 
It ought to point to your face. And let your face point people to your Savior. They ought to look at your face and see the light of Jesus in your eyes. They ought to want the Savior that you serve. The price tag God assigns. My friend, God values you. He loves you. He cherishes you. What is the price tag of purity? It's priceless. Don't give it away. Don't give it away. First Peter 3 is clear that we're to adorn ourselves in apparel that is pleasing to the Lord. First Timothy continues that thought. Modest, gender, and appropriate. Modest, gender, and appropriate. May we allow these principles, biblical principles, to guide us uh, as we go. Let's have our heads bowed nice closed. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. And Lord, how it touches on every topic. Topics that are, topics that are um, easy to preach on and some that aren't, but Lord, all important. And so Lord, tonight help us to choose modesty, to choose Lord, a uniform that represents our love for Christ. Lord, may the Christian uniform be that of modesty and purity. In Jesus' name, amen. We're not going to have a regular invitation this evening. I think that would be a little uncomfortable. So what I'm going to do is, while the piano plays, allow you to sit there in your pew and just pray right where you're at. In just a moment, I'll close this.